1: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
0: AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music and lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi
2: there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra
3: wheatgrass. Here you go.
0: AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled.
3: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury... This This, this, is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Back. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris,
4: this
5: relationship.
3: Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does
5: that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are Chris Mannix and Howard Back.
6: All right crossover NBA podcast Chris Mannix and Howard Beck and on a special trade deadline edition of the podcast we have to bring in smarter minds than ours and one in particular joins us here on the show he is Ryan McDonough former NBA general manager now an NBA analyst for Odyssey among many other things what's up Ryan welcome
5: Chris Howard, I'm doing great. Always good to be on with you guys, and I'm glad we're recording this a few days before the trade deadline because I, I feel like the time we by the time we get to three o'clock on Thursday afternoon, this whole thing may be over. And uh, you know, everybody everybody did their business well in advance of the actual deadline.
6: Yeah, it's- hey, we
4: timed we timed this perfectly. We timed it right after two. Uh, I wouldn't say blockbuster trades, but we gave ourselves plenty to talk about. In addition to
6: trying to uh, figure out what may happen on Thursday, so yeah, it's it's been an interesting couple of days, and I want to start right there with the trade that, uh, oh, there's a couple trades that broke on Tuesday morning and afternoon, but the one that we jumped on and started discussing before the show even began, that's the Sacramento Kings making a move with the Indiana Pacers dealing Tyrus Halliburton, dealing Buddy Heald, getting back Demontis Sabonis. Those are the key pieces uh, in that deal. Uh, Ryan, Twitter is not a great gauge of what's right and what's wrong, but Twitter resoundingly against this deal. Pretty much referring to the Kings as being the Kangs once again making a bad decision and giving up the 21 year old Halliburton exchange for Sabonis who is an all-star big man but uh, older and maybe they don't like him quite as much so you saw that deal go down what was your reaction
5: Yeah, I hate to admit this publicly because uh, certainly there are times I disagreed with Twitter as an executive, but um, I, I do like this deal a lot from the perspective of the Indiana Pacers. I think Tyrese Halliburton is a young stud He shoots the ball. He passes the ball. He does not turn the ball over very often. Uh, High character, high IQ. He's on a rookie-scale contract for the next few years. So, frankly, guys, I did not think the Sacramento Kings were going to trade him under any scenario. In fact, I thought he was the one guy on the Kings roster who was untouchable. I don't think it surprises anyone that they moved Buddy Heald. They've been trying to do that for a number of years now. Um, Heald's a talented shooter, but his contract is bloated. But I thought Sacramento would try everything, including trading De'Aaron Fox first, before they thought about moving Halliburton. But uh, what do we know? They they pulled the trigger today with Halliburton to Indiana and Sabonis coming back in return.
4: Ryan, what, because this is the question in my own head without having spoken to anybody yet, because this has just unfolded, you know, not that long before we got on. But what does this tell us about either how the league or the Pacers specifically viewed Fox versus Halliburton What does it tell us about how the Kings viewed Fox versus Halliburton? And obviously there's not just a track record and age consideration here, but contract Halliburton's on his rookie deal. Fox is on a massive extension already, his second contract. So that certainly factors in. But what do you think that this just told us about how those two guys are valued by the Kings and by the league at large?
5: Well, I think it's easier for me, Howard, to judge how they were valued by the other 29 teams outside of Sacramento. And my strong guess is that De'Aaron Fox... Um, who's obviously played well at times in his career. He's a very talented offensive guard. He's dynamite in transition. Uh, But he is on a max contract, and he has been injured. He hasn't been consistently in the lineup for the Kings. Uh, So what it tells me is the perceived value of Fox, maybe among fans and certain members of the media, is higher than the actual value of Fox and what Fox would bring back on the trade marketplace. That's what I feel happened. I I would guess uh, that if you were in the Sacramento front office, Would you rather have Halliburton on a rookie scale contract for a few more years with the flexibility that allows from a financial standpoint or Fox on a max contract? I'm guessing they'd rather have Halliburton. So to me, uh, what I think likely happened, guys, is that uh, the market for Fox wasn't that robust. Uh, They felt like they could get a two-time all-star in Demata Sabonis and add him to Fox and uh, like that was good enough. Now, will it be good enough? We shall see. But I do think offloading buddy Hield's salary was a key part of this deal um guys my sources tell me that sacramento thought they had a deal last year with the la lakers that buddy Hield was going to the lakers he was going to be a laker the lakers famously piz- or infamously pivoted at the last moment and did the deal with washington instead bringing westbrook in from dc um so sacramento has been trying to move Hield for quite some time now i think that probably was a significant factor uh in them doing this deal with indiana as well
6: yeah i i like sabonis a lot um but I think in an ideal world, you're surrounding Sabonis with shooters, and they just traded their two best yep. shooters. <laughs> they just moved them off of them. So I, and I, there's obviously more roster maneuvering to do. To me, my initial reaction was this is Sacramento trying to make the play in, like just trying to do everything they can to get in. I mean, Sabonis maybe offers a little bit more of immediate help. He upgrades their front court, obviously, right away. Uh, and they're only three games back as we record this of that play-in spot. So you know, maybe that gives them a little bit of a push. And maybe they thought Fox and Halliburton kind of overlapped. I love this deal from Indiana's perspective. I mean, they they haven't been more than like a play-in first-round playoff team in the Sabonis era. Sabonis and Miles Turner clearly don't work as a combination. Maybe this now means Turner is safe uh, from a trade uh, for, uh, for the foreseeable future as they try to build something with a younger uh, guard in Halliburton. and I mean, I don't know what they do with Buddy Heald. That's another one. Like Buddy Heald doesn't seem to make a lot of sense there. Anyway, maybe they can swap him off either before the deadline Thursday or certainly in the off season. But uh, Howard, I, I, I think Indiana is a home run. I mean, there are questions on the uh, Sacramento side, but for Indiana, you're not winning anything. So, you know, even though Sabonis is good, to have a guy you can control on a reasonable salary who looks like the real deal at one of the two guard spots, averaging seven plus assists per game, shooting 40 plus percent from three, that's a big win.
4: I love Halliburton and I love the Pacers getting him. And look, like with the CJ McCollum, Dame Lillard situation, which we'll get to, you know, the, it felt like. Turner and Sabonis, it was just an annual discussion of, like, at what point are you going to finally break these guys up? It's just not working. It's the front court version of McCollum and Lillard. And it's fine. They finally made that move. I guess this means Turner is staying. And Turner, just ask him, can do a lot more than he's doing for them when healthy. Um, he has said as much. So maybe he's right. But I guess my concern would be this. If the Kings were guard, were, were too backcourt heavy... With Halliburton and Fox and healed and everything else and needed for to fortify the front court to balance themselves out. And now it's all about Fox and Sabonis as a one-two punch. And maybe that works. Maybe they're the, the duo that leads the Kings back to respectability. I don't know where the defense is, but we'll see. The Pacers now have almost the opposite problem. Unless Turner's going to become a big-time front court scorer and a go-to scorer, where, where is the balance there now that they are all about Halliburton and the rest of that guard court, you know, uh, Brogdon and Duarte. Um, I, I don't know, Ryan, do you, do you see like, is, I mean, they did just trade Levert also. So maybe there are still more to come and maybe Turner goes too. maybe this is a complete reconstruction, but am I right in thinking that like, this is, this is not the, the end game for the Pacers. Halliburton's a great piece now, but it feels like this is just one step toward something,
5: Yeah, I don't think the Indiana Pacers are done dealing either now or into the offseason. They had high expectations coming into this year. They made the coaching change with Nate Bjorkman going out after just one season on the sideline and an experienced coach. He's probably head of the Hall of Fame someday and Rick Carlisle coming in. And the short-term results have not been good. They're 13th in the Eastern Conference. A lot of that is due to injury. T.J. Warren, who was one of the breakout stars in the Orlando bubble, has not played a game this year. Brogdon's been in and out of the lineup, and they've had other injury issues as well. So uh, I think Turner is likely to be on the Pacers roster at 3.01 Eastern time on Thursday, but I don't think that's a certainty, guys. Um, one thing that maybe makes him more likely to stay in Indiana in the short term is that Miles Turner is currently injured. And if you look at the history of teams trading for injured players, especially teams that um, you know maybe are taking a longer lens who are Playoff teams or teams trying to get into the play-in, but not necessarily championship contenders, they usually don't rush into a deal and give a lot of value for a player like Miles Turner when there's some uncertainty about if and when that player will return in season, right? It, it, this year, so I think a Turner trade still could happen. I think it's probably more likely this off-season. Um, but Indiana, for the first time in a long time, maybe the first time in decades, to me, seems fully willing to lean into a rebuild. Uh, and I think one of the factors there is, as you guys know, they have a lot of difficulty drawing fans. They're always toward the bottom in terms of attendance. And so I think if you're in the front office or especially on the business side, you make the point that we've been a good team for a long time and attendance still hasn't been great. So why don't we maybe take a step back, rebuild and try to be a great team and, and you know, launch the core of the, the next version of Pacers basketball that way and hope the fans get behind that product. Um, because frankly, they haven't turned out great in Indy, even when the team has won right around 50 games for a number of years.
6: Yeah, the the two teams I was told to watch in the next couple of days from Miles Turner, Charlotte, and Dallas. Uh, we'll see if the Pacers' appetite for moving Turner now or if the offers are good enough for them to make that deal. All right, let's talk about the Blazers, who have not completed, but done a pretty good job of deconstructing their roster over the last couple of days. Earlier in the weekend, it was Robert Covington, it was Norm Powell going out in a trade with the Clippers on Tuesday. The C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard era has come to an end with McCollum going to New Orleans in exchange for a package that includes Josh Hart, Thomas Sadaransky, Nikhil Walker-Alexander, and a 2022 protected first-round pick. Larry Nance and Tony Snell go out uh, with McCollum. So, Ryan, in a couple of days, the Blazers, you know, did what I think a lot of people expected and urged them to do. They kind of pulled apart. Uh, this roster with McCollum specifically, and you can even look at the totality of these moves. Did they do a good job? Did they get enough? Uh, how, how do you look at what the Pacers have done, or sorry, the, uh, the Blazers have done over the last few days?
5: McCollum was a polarizing player on the trade market, as you guys know. Teams like him, they love his shooting ability, his efficiency, his ability to create and make shots at a high level. They did not love his contract, and I think that significantly limited the market. For Portland, in terms of what they could bring back in return for CJ McCollum, I, I think there were you know a number of teams who said, look, we like him, but not at 30 million plus, right? We don't like him at that level. Um, but but they found a team in New Orleans who did want him and has a clear need. Um, you know, I, I put on Twitter earlier today, guys. He will be the best guard, the best offensive guard by far that Brandon Ingram and if and hopefully when he returns to the lineup, Zion Williamson have played with in New Orleans. So he gives them some shooting, some spacing, some backcourt firepower they have not had, um, and remarkably. After a three and sixteen start, New Orleans is somehow in play in range as we sit here about fifty five games through the season. So I think for Portland, uh, it was more, let's not break this down. Joe Cronin, their their interim GM, said that uh, a week or so ago. We we don't think we have the appetite to tear this all the way down to the ground. And what I took that to mean is everybody is in play except for Damian Lillard. And I think what they've done, Howard and Chris, is given themselves about $30 million in cap space this offseason, young players, draft picks, the things you want. If you try to hit the bottom quickly and then come right back up again, I think that's what they're likely to do, maybe even putting uh, their lottery pick in play, assuming. They do not make the playoffs and then try to build it around Dame next offseason.
4: Ryan, this is such a strange thing because um, I don't know if we would call this cognitive dissonance, but there's two versions of how I view what Portland's done. In the abstract, it's exactly what I think we all thought they should have done a while ago and, and should do now, which is you're going nowhere, tear it down. Break up the, the, the backcourt. Not, it's not a reflection on C.J. McCollum or Dame Lillard. It's just that they were undersized. That You'd gone as far as you were going to get with them. This is the right move. And so I, I salute that part of it. And I can't wait to see what they do with that newfound flexibility that you were just alluding to. But it's, it's easy to get hung up on, did they get enough back for all these pieces, Powell and Covington and C.J.? Are we looking at that the wrong way? I mean, one, it, it was the prior administration that... Made the investment in those guys, and so people people keep talking about what it took to get them and what versus what they got back. But you know, it's a, there's a sunk cost reality here, right? So, if that's the cost of moving forward, are, are they doing the right thing, regardless of whether we not whether or not we think the the return was was good enough?
5: I think it all depends on organizational goals, Howard. And, and, and we all you know, get fixated on championships, winning championships, being right there at the championship level. Uh, Portland has the longest playoff streak in the league at the moment. That's not easy to do, especially in the Western Conference. It's very difficult to do. Um, so that comes into, you know, obviously starting with the ownership. What is ownership willing to do? do? Do they want to stay competitive every year? Uh, it's, it's one interesting thing here is uh, we sit here a few days before the trade deadline that two teams who seemingly have always wanted to stay competitive, um, that getting in the playoffs would be, would be good. I mean, obviously there's a level or two above that, but if they get in the playoffs and compete in the playoffs, that was a good season in Indiana and Portland seem to have shifted away from that right then those teams in the short term at least are taking a step back, trading veteran players, bringing in young players, draft picks, things like that so with Portland, it remains to be seen. Uh, I do not think the, these moves, the big one uh, last week with, with Norman Powell and Robert Covington going to the Clippers and then the recent one uh, this week of the trade deadline with C.J. McCollum in New Orleans, I do not think that means Damian Lillard is going to be traded over the next 48 hours. Obviously, he could be, um, but, but I, I think, Howard, it depends on what they do this offseason uh, around Dame, and is it good enough to keep Dame happy, or are we sitting here at this time next year saying, yeah, they had $30 million in cap space, but it was a weak free agent class. The other 2019 teams didn't really value their draft picks and young players as far as trade assets. So now Damian Lillard is unhappy. In which case, if they trade him, uh, then they'll probably be among the worst teams in the league and have to go through a full blown rebuild.
6: Yeah. I, I couldn't care less about Portland's playoff streak. I don't like that. That's like, they're not a mid-level ACC school. Like, you know, win something. They've been to the conference finals one time and they got smoked during that stretch. So it was over like this group. There was nothing they could add on to this group that would make them a title contending team. Simple as that. Um, I, I didn't love the return for everything. I get what you're saying, Ryan, when it comes to CJ's value league-wide. Um, plus, I thought they might have been able to get a little bit more for Norman Powell. I thought the market might have been more robust for him. I don't know. That's just kind of the way I was reading the situation. Um, what I am interested to see, though, is what's next. I mean, they cleared a lot of space with these deals, right? Like they're going to have something like 60 million in cap space. And they created, I think a 20, $21 million exception in that deal involving uh, CJ McCollum. They now have an extra draft pick to play with. Like, I'd love to see the Blazers turn around and get in play for a guy like Jeremy Grant, like make him a target because I don't think you want to go into the off season. Just, Pointing to Damian Lillard and say, look at all the space we have. Nobody goes to Portland. I mean, no disrespect to the city, but players don't sign there. And you're, you're what? You're banking on being able to absorb a contract? Are you now like Oklahoma City? I don't, I think they've got to do something positive before this deadline. And Grant makes some sense. If they do have that exception, can fit into that spot right there. Um, you'd be able to offer Detroit a first round pick, probably not your own, but, you know, the one that you just picked up. Like to me, Ryan, it, it's, they're done being sellers now. To to make sure that you 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 show Damian that you got some direction. Why not go get a guy like Jeremy Grant, who we all know Jeremy. Like among the things he wants is to have a leading role, at least to the end of this season. He would. Like I mean, I don't think Damian's coming back this year. I think that pretty much cements that he's probably done for the rest of the year as he recovers from that injury. Um, you bring in a guy like Grant, you let him run wild the rest of the season, and then. Next year, or at least this offseason, you're starting with a base of uh, Lillard and Grant, which is not going to get you anywhere, but at least it's the foundation of something. What do you think of that?
5: Well, the first thought that comes to mind, Chris, is if you own an NBA team and an eight-year playoff streak's not good enough, I'm not going to apply to work for you. That's that's the I first know, thought. Like isn't it's, it's isn't meaningless. It mom and eight pop, eight years in the like in, so row, in the Western Conference, irrelevant. Nobody ask cares. The
4: Blazers fans, if they enjoyed that run, ask them if they enjoyed some of Dame Lillard's uh, buzzer beaters and 37 footers and everything. Like they had a really nice ride. There is something to be said for the enjoyment. of of the ride, Chris. It, it can't be rings or nothing. Don't give me rings culture shit. I right, did, come I, on. I don't,
6: I, <laughs> Ryan, first of all, Ryan, that's shocking that you would say that. You grew up in Boston where you think an eight-year playoff <laughs> streak would satisfy anybody in the city of Boston?
5: No, I I say it to be facetious. I've actually lived it in my career. It's championship or bust. In Boston, luckily, we won one. Uh, In Phoenix, we had to hit the bottom, and I I hope we were just coming out of it by the time I got fired. But uh, no, I've lived it, Chris, and that's how I operate, but that is somewhat controversial. Uh, You know, I'd say with Portland, what about this, guys? This is something I'm surprised I haven't seen discussed as much. If Ben Simmons is not going to get traded to the Brooklyn Nets uh, for James Harden, I think he'd be the ideal guy to play off of Damian Lillard. What if, Chris, to your idea, and I'll escalate at a level from Jeremy Grant, what if Portland took all those assets and expiring contracts and all that they acquired and and went to Philadelphia and said, what do you want for Simmons? Lillard's off-limit, but everything else on our roster is in play. That would be more interesting to me because I think that is the best role for Ben Simmons as a screener, roller, secondary playmaker. I think his defensive ability would help cover up for Lillard, who's obviously elite offensively, not quite as good on the defensive end. I like that part of it. If, if there were an asset play where you're going to be aggressive and try to keep Damian Lillard happy and bring in a veteran to help him win games, yeah, I would think I, about going off with yeah, Ben Simmons.
6: Yeah, but like, I think saying to Philadelphia that everything else is in play, but Damian Lillard is like going to the used car lot and saying, see that new Mercedes? You can't have that, but there's a whole bunch of Toyota Corollas around here that you can get for whatever you want. It's just based on what Toyota, Toyota Corolla be- slander. My gosh. Based, on- <laughs> Sorry, Howard. I'm still Hopefully stuck. I'm still stuck on Howard <laughs> believing that, you know, first-round exits are great. Like, the experience of Damian Lubick and game winners all by himself is, is awesome. Uh, it's about the journey, Chris. Yeah, it's the about journey. the journey. The journey sucks. Uh, the, <laughs> the, I, I just don't think it's enough for Philadelphia. Based on how Daryl Morey's been operating, I, I don't believe that that's going to be enough. That's why, I'd like, at least a guy like Grant, you get a guy like Grant, Anthony Simons is good. Like, he is a very, very good player. So you hope that next year he takes yet another step in his career. It all of a sudden, it's Little, it's Simon, it's Grant, and then maybe you can make another deal that brings somebody else in. But uh, just kind of sitting back with all your cap space, I'm not sure what Damian Lillard is supposed to think of that, Howard. I, I don't Mannix
4: know. Maddox is just bitter that his long-hoped-for CJ McCollum, Ben Simmons swap is never going to come to pass now. So... um can we just uh, turn this to the other side of it real quick, Ryan? Cause I, I I'm curious about the Pelicans. Obviously the Blazers are, are of more intrigue in a lot of ways because of Dame and with the, the Pelicans, as long as Zion's not playing, it's just hard to get too excited about whatever they're doing, but let's talk about whatever it is they're doing because CJ McCollum is what? 30 on a decent sized contract. They've got Ingram. Uh, they've got Valanchunas. They've got Zion somewhere. Um, Is this the right move at the right time? I understand like there's pressure and there's urgency and they need to start showing progress. Is this the right move at the right time for that team?
5: Yeah, I think new Orleans it's consistent with what they've done going back to the off-season, right? They were really aggressive. Um, I, I did not love the moves they made, letting Lonzo Ball go to the Bulls, uh, doing the sign-and-trade with Charlotte for Devontae Graham. Uh, I thought they were too light in the backcourt, and, and I think the results over the first 55 or so games proved that. But to their credit, uh, they didn't sit on their laurels. Um, I, I give... Frankly, Willie Green, a ton of credit for what he's done. I mean, when this team started three and 16 and, and looked uncompetitive, and there were all the issues swirling with Zion, and uh, you know about his weight and where is he? Why is he not playing? Why do they keep pushing the timeline back? I think it would have been very easy for the team to crater and, and fall apart and win you know, 15 to 20 games and have a bunch of ping-pong balls, but uh, they've really righted the ship. So I, I think, you know, starting with the Devontae Graham trade, uh, then they made the deal uh, to bring in Jonas Valanciunas. So they, they've been aggressive. I, I like that they continue to be aggressive. Uh, I don't think you know, C.J. McCollum plus Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson makes this team a championship contender. I, I don't think that's the case, uh, but it does give them an opportunity to, maybe next year when they're fully healthy, be a top six team in the West, Western Conference, avoid the play-in. And, and, you know, one of the fascinating things, guys, that I've talked to a number of people around the league that I haven't gained consensus on is, the question used to be, will Zion Williamson accept the Pelicans' Supermax offer? Now the question that precedes that is, will the Pelicans make Zion Williamson a Supermax offer given that he's missed half the game? So I think if anything, if the Pelicans are thinking about this, um, it signifies that they're serious about winning. It shows Zion uh, that they're committed. And then if that is the case, uh, I guess it makes it more likely that he'll sign the extension. But again, for me, uh, will they offer it? Because the guy who's played in 40 some odd percent of the games he's been available and they're, they're is obviously significant risk that comes with offering a contract of that size to a player who hasn't been in the lineup that much.
6: Yeah, I feel like the, it, that kind of offer would probably have some Embiid-esque qualities to it with that Max Embiid signed after his rookie deal expired where a lot of protections were in there for the foot injury that Embiid uh, dealt with. I think with Zion, it's probably going to be something like the same thing. Now, will that, you know, what kind of battle will that create internally there? Would he accept that? Um, I I just, I have a hard time, Ryan, seeing Zion roll the dice and take the uh, qualifying offer. Like, I I just, a guy with those, if you get guaranteed dollars, I mean, most guys do it anyway. In fact, every guy does it that gets offered a max level contract. If you got a foot injury though, and there's something on the table that could guarantee you a lot of money over a long period of time, you got to take it, I think.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast.
6: And then they're never at any of those. Never,
2: yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to like you know Lil Durk, and you're like, "See, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you t- why are you He's telling the one me about- the whole time?" <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on
6: iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, I want to I want to move on for a second, and I want to talk about Cleveland and the the belief I'm starting to have that maybe the Cavs could come out of the East? I I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit extreme at this point, but they go out and they sign Karis LeVert, or they trade for Karis LeVert uh, from Indiana. They give up only the contract if Ricky Rubio is out for the season with an ACL injury. They give up a first round pick, which I would argue Karis LeVert is better than whatever mid-level first round pick the Cavaliers were going to have there. Ryan, I love that deal for Cleveland. Um, We'll see how he fits on the court, but Karis LeVert's always been kind of a team guy, and I I'm a fan of that deal, and it just makes the Cavaliers that much stronger. I mean, you look at that starting lineup, you know, or whatever the six seven man rotation. You stack it up with most teams in the Eastern Conference, they're right there. So maybe they're too inexperienced to win at the highest of level, but talent wise, uh, they're right up there.
5: Cleveland's done a great job. Kobe Altman and J.B. Bickerstaff and their group uh, in the front office and on the sideline, they've done a phenomenal job. And uh, guys, I was actually on air uh, as part of my gig with Odyssey earlier today in Cleveland, and we were marveling at how quickly they have turned things. I mean, keep in mind, this team was... 22-50 and last year in the 72-game season. Uh, They they picked toward the top of the lottery. They got a guy who I think is going to be a superstar in Evan Mobley. In fact, I'm predicting that Mobley is going to win multiple Defensive Player of the Year awards. That's how disruptive I think he will be on the defensive end, especially as his body fills out. He needs to... You know, add strength uh, and, and develop a little bit but he's going to be a monster I think on both ends especially defensively Darius Garland has taken a big step this year he made the all-star team he's one of the more skilled guards in the league and uh, he's smart he can dribble he can pass he can shoot uh, so really I think the, the weakness if they had one was on the wing you know, Isaac Okoro's developed um, but To add Levert, another secondary ball handler and playmaker, Um, you know, he's a better player than what they lost in Rubio. Uh, Also, about a month or so ago at this point, they went out and aggressively added Rajon Rondo from the Lakers. So, yeah, I think this team is loaded up. They're the second best defensive team in the league, which from my experience is really rare for a team that young to be that good defensively. Uh, I think a lot of that is Mobley and Jared Allen. And guys, in a league that's really small with, you know, pace and space and three-point shooting, uh, the Cavs are a giant team. A a lot of people had concerns about how it would work, but it's worked out great especially defensively and I think Levert gives them a lot more offensive firepower than they've had where yeah Chris I think this is a you know a playoff team for sure a top six team in the Eastern Conference and also a team that could advance in the playoffs I won't go as far as to put them uh, in the conference finals or NBA finals because uh, I think young players usually need to get knocked down a rung and they, they, when the game changes and you're playing Giannis or Joel Embiid or Jason Tatum one of these guys uh, it is a little bit different in, in the playoffs even in the first round.
4: I kind of had the same question, Ryan, about the Cavs as I do about the Pelicans, although obviously much different circumstances. We didn't expect the Cavs to make this kind of leap, right? I don't think the Cavs expected the Cavs to make this kind of leap. And so once you get there and you realize this is legit, and we're probably here to stay for a while because we've got a young team that's still growing together and we've got more moves to make down the line, the question becomes, when do you strike and make a move like they just did? It's not like it was some blockbuster, right? Karis LeVert's not an all-star or anything, but... Uh, and he didn't cost them much because Rubio was already out. And maybe if Rubio never gets hurt, this deal never comes to pass. But you're here now. And so the question becomes, how strong of a postseason do you want to have in your first run with this young group? So is, strike, is, is striking right now going for Karis LeVert as opposed to saying, you know what, we'll play it cool. We'll let our young guys take their lumps and we'll see where we are after the season and then see how to fortify them. Like, how do you weigh the The uh, immediate future versus the 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 slightly longer term planning.
5: I thought it was a smart move, Howard, because Rubio is out for the year, and he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, the injury may even stretch into next season, so he was not going to be on the roster. Now, since it will be a new calendar year after July 1, the Cavs could try to re-sign him if that's something they have interested in. Uh, interest in you know this offseason, um, but I think from a value perspective, um, you know they gave up two picks: uh, the first rounder, who you guys uh, mentioned that it'll be I think somewhere in the 20s, and then they also gave up an early second rounder. I know that was valuable to Indiana because the, the way the Pacers view it is for Levert. Um, yes, they only got one first-round pick, but they got a pick that's like a first-round pick, that's Houston's second-rounder, which I think today is 33. Um, so that was the value play from the Pacers' perspective. Uh, but, but going back to Cleveland, um, they were going to get exploited on the wing in the playoffs. I mean, the, the way you know, teams play nowadays, Isaac Okoro is young. Like I said, he's improved, but uh, he, he's on his own, in particular, is not good enough. And so the team was kind of you know, backcourt-heavy initially with Garland and Sexton and Rubio before Sexton's injury, and then you know, very frontcourt-heavy um with Jared Allen Mobley, um, you know, Lowry Markinen who's playing small forward, and Kevin Love, who's uh, you know, had a resurgence season in the six-man-of-the-year conversation. So They, they needed a, a bigger wing, a wing playmaker, and I thought they got the perfect guy. And Yeah, the, the value was right. I mean, look, picks in the 20s or early 30s are great, but they've already done the most important thing. They've established a young core in Mobley and Garland, and now it's time to surround those guys with pieces that help them win, especially if they're players uh, like LaVert, who were under contract for a number of years and still relatively young with some runway ahead of them
6: let me ask you this ryan um what would be your position if you were kobe altman when it comes to colin sexton a uh, sexton is done for the year with a knee injury and you know i've been told that there are teams poking around on it uh not offering much uh in exchange for Sexton. he'll be a restricted free agent after the season but yeah you know, like the chance to if you're a team acquiring him the chance to resign him you know with his bird rights that's 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 value in that uh, if you're Cleveland, I mean, I, you, I'm reading some of this stuff like the Cavs believe Colin Sexton can work with that group next year. They've got some fl- under-the-tax flexibility to sign him. I, I'm not sure I really buy that. I think they, they've they made their kind of choice with their backcourt here. Yep. Garland is the starting point guard. LaVert, I'm not so sure Sexton wants to be kind of the third or fourth option uh, off the off the bench uh, with that team. So what, what, what should the Cavaliers do there? I mean, is there more value in – Trying to re-sign Sexton next year and then trading him? Is there more value in trading him now? What, What should be the approach?
5: I think Cleveland will and should see what they can get for Colin Sexton over the next 48 hours. When when I look at their salary cap sheet, uh, he is by far the most tradable player. Um, But that's the challenge, Chris. You you mentioned it. He is going to be a restricted free agent. Uh, Obviously, if you're trading for a player, you'd prefer him to be uh, restricted rather than unrestricted because you control that. But the other 29 teams, I think, are saying, well, we like Colin Sexton at some level, but do we want to give up value to get him? Uh, Not only in terms of the asset or assets to go out the door, but in terms of his expectations and, and how much money he's going to want in free agency, what his agent expects. And, and so if you can't answer all those questions, you probably shouldn't trade, trade him, which is why I think the market on Sexton is relatively cool at this point. Um, you know, he's, he's a controversial player, as you guys know. Talented offensively, can be an explosive scorer. Most of the teams I talk to, and the way I personally evaluate him, I think he's a, he's a good six man to come off the bench and, uh, you know, instant offense in a, you know, Vinnie Johnson, Jamal Crawford uh, kind of role. I don't think that's necessarily what Colin has in mind, but um, frankly, guys, when you dig into the numbers, the Cavs have been a lot better, uh, even when he was healthy, when he was off the court, you know, some of their on court, off court splits, and now that he's been injured, the team has uh, thrived and really taken off. So uh, I don't think he's going to be a Cavalier next year. I think if they can't maximize his value or get decent value even for him over the next couple of days, they'll look to do a sign-and-trade with him this offseason.
6: Yeah. I, I think that's, that's probably the best way to go. I mean, if you can get something of value that makes sense for this year and beyond, um, jump on it. If not, uh, t- punt it for another time.
0: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And... Producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
3: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury
6: We're hopefully going to see in the next couple of days some of the biggest uh, issues, the biggest lingering things that are out there. Let's start in Brooklyn, where the Nets, Steve Nash, he has said unequivocally that James Harden will not be traded uh, by Thursday. Uh, That doesn't stop the chatter around James Harden, who is out again on Tuesday night with that hamstring injury. The Nets have lost eight in a row. Ryan, put yourself in Sean Marks' office right now. I mean... What kind of variables do you think he's considering as he weighs whatever decision he's going to make before Thursday?
5: Well, if I were in Sean Marks' office right now, I'd probably have a bottle of scotch, you know, looking out the window, seeing what time Hakkasan opens, or, I, you know, I can go do something else and take my mind off it, you know, get a good meal. Uh, no, in, in all sincerity, uh, it, it's a difficult spot to be in, you know, for, for Brooklyn. This is not what they had in mind. As you guys know, they were the odds-on favorite, a heavy favorite on the betting market to win the championship this year. So we sit here and record the show about 48 hours before the trade deadline. They are in play-in range. They've lost eight in a row. They're seventh in the Eastern Conference, which, you know, seemed impossible when the season started. Um, So I I think James Harden is going to remain a Brooklyn net unless he goes to Joe Josiah, the owner, and Sean Marks in the front office and says, look, I'm not going to be here. You you know, I I don't want to resign here. Get what you can for me. Uh, I think that's what Philadelphia wants to happen. Um, That is not what Brooklyn wants to happen. So short of a deal forced by Harden, I think he remains a net. Uh, And then it's a matter of, you know, how quickly can we get Kevin Durant healthy? one final thing, guys, that I haven't seen enough people uh, talk about. And I imagine we'll talk about it a little bit more, but one final option that, that's really kind of controversial, but um, Harden, who is, uh, by the way, searching for an agent. He fired the group at Wasserman who helped him get to Brooklyn just a year ago. Now he's looking for an agent. Uh, if he has an agent or if he's listening to your terrific show on SI.com, James, what you can do is opt in for next year, then try to force a trade to Philadelphia. If he forces a trade to Philadelphia or one of the other 29 teams, guys, after a six-month waiting period, he can can then sign a five-year, $270 million Supermax deal with that team. So that, that's very interesting, right? From a leverage perspective, if Brooklyn holds the line and says, no, we're not going to trade you now, uh, he can opt in this off season and say, look, I'm not going to be here in 2023, and then try to get to Philadelphia and get his money. Uh, it, it's a cap kind of technicality, but I haven't seen a lot of people talking about that. And that is certainly an option that if Harden uh, does hire an agent at some point, he will find out about if he doesn't know, know it already.
4: Well, and that was at least part of that is kind of like how Chris Paul got to Houston, right? I mean, we thought he was going to be long before he ended up getting to free agency. Not long before, but during a period of time when they should not have been able to orchestrate all this, he went to the Clippers and said, I'm going to opt in and trade me, right? Wasn't that basically the way that went down? So Harden could pull the same maneuver with uh, the Nets uh, cooperation. Um, But... I'm curious about some other machinations here, though, Ryan. The Sixers, we know, cannot sign him outright if he enters free agency, and so that threat is not there at present. But they they could trade Tobias Harris and some contracts into somebody's cap room, if, if not this week, which would be very risky, obviously, in the middle of a season when you're actually very competitive. But they could just do that at the trade deadline. They could do that on July 1st, right? Like, the Sixers don't loom as a free agency threat to the Nets for Harden right now, but they could get there, right? Like, don't the Nets have to consider that as well with all of the noise out there that Harden may want to walk away? They're they're looming, aren't they?
5: I'll answer your question two ways, Howard. Yes, Philadelphia could do what you just mentioned theoretically, I think in reality, it's going to be a lot more difficult than that just to move, even to give away or incentivize Tobias Harris making 30 to $35 million a year for the next number of years uh, to any team, B- because very few teams in the league, I think, value Harris's contract. At best, they view it as neutral value. I think more likely they view it as negative value, where you need an asset or assets, plural, attached to it. Uh, that's the first issue. The second issue is um, there are only a handful of teams. Uh, ironically, now Portland, I think, is one of them, or they're close to being one of them, who can absorb, you know, 30 plus million dollars in free agency next year. So, so the question is, um, if there are only a handful of teams who can do it, do any of those teams want to do it? And then what is the ask, right? So uh, you could do it. I mean, theoretically, it is possible, but mechanically, it's very difficult. Um, you know, there, there is maybe one scenario in which uh, Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris are on the roster and Simmons, uh, excuse me, Harden comes in, but, but that would involve basically gutting the rest of the team, think kind of like what Miami did, uh, you know, to get... LeBron and Bosch alongside Dwayne Wade, that kind of thing, where you just tear it down and get rid of everybody, basically. Um, you, you know, Philly doesn't want to do that. So, really, to me, it's, it's a game of chicken. Uh, keep in mind, if, if it is a sign and trade, so like if Harden is in Brooklyn going into the offseason, but he opts out and is a free agent, if he is signed and traded from Brooklyn to Philadelphia, when you receive a player in a sign-and-trade, which would be Philadelphia in this case, you, you are hard-capped. They call it the apron. You're hard-capped, so, you, so you do have to shed salary. Uh, and again, that, that's, that's a firm number. You can't go above that number. Uh, so it becomes difficult mechanically. Uh, so Brooklyn knows that. Philadelphia knows that. And that is, uh, you know, I'm fairly certain why, with Ben Simmons still on the roster and in play to be traded over the next 48 hours, Daryl Morey and the Sixers organization are leaking all this stuff out there about how much they want James Harden trying to make that the deal, or at least the centerpiece of the deal, Ben Simmons to Brooklyn, James Harden to Philly. You know, Ryan, if James Harden says he
6: wants to be in Brooklyn, I, I it should be a non-starter, right? Like, you know, three more years of or whatever of James Harden, you take that. His He lines up with Durant age-wise. Kyrie's a different story, but, you know, theoretically, they're all, like, in their prime stars. Yes, Harden has regressed a little bit this season, but those three guys, more than enough, to win a championship, multiple championships even, uh, in Brooklyn. But, like, what I saw in Harden's last game against Sacramento were shades of what I saw in Houston, right? Like, you saw at the end in Houston, where it's a little bit like, all right, he's not even trying on defense. He was something like 2 for 11 from the floor in that game. And if it's the hamstring, okay, he had a hamstring problem last year. It's clearly a lingering issue uh, for him. Fine. Uh, But as a GM, like if you're Sean Marks, do you walk up to James Harden tonight in in Brooklyn and say, do you want to be here? And if you don't, we'll make something happen. Like, do you have a conversation that's that blunt?
5: Well, I, th- I think you have to, uh, one way or another, from Sean Marks, the GM, or even Joe Sy, the owner, I think should be involved. Uh, because, you know, a lot of this is a gut feel. As you guys know, if he uh, says no, obviously it's pretty clear. But if he, you know, it's kind of equivocates a little bit. If there's a gray area there, then you have to make a a, a call. Um, I'm glad you brought up Kyrie Irving, Chris, because uh, as much as I think we're all tired of talking about Kyrie and the vaccination stuff, he is in a similar position contractually to James Harden. And I bring it up because um, there is a scenario with Brooklyn, again, heavy favorite to win the championship last year after the trade with Houston to bring in Harden. This year in the preseason, things have not gone according to plan in any way, shape, or form uh, that they lose both those guys, right? right? And this is a team that's obviously... Uh, you know, traded draft picks and young players and and gutted it. And, 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 you know, I think it was the right thing to do, at least on paper, uh, to get Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving and James Harden. Uh, But but imagine if there's a scenario in which Harden and Irving aren't on the roster next year. uh, Kevin Durant is great. um, But then what happened? You know, then how do you build around KD? Well, he's still in his prime. So it's high stakes poker here for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I think, what, what they will do and what they should do is put their arm around James Harden and say, look, James, you're, you're our guy. We want you here and try to get some kind of commitment. Um, but one minor red flag, and a reason it, it's murky, guys, is because Harden was already eligible to sign an extension. He could have signed an extension this offseason, which Kevin Durant did. Harden did not do that. So that's the first kind of red flag. Why didn't he sign the extension? And now, Chris, as you mentioned, with the lack of effort against Sacramento and others, and especially given his history. This is a pattern with James. Even going back to remember the playoffs probably six or seven years ago, at this point against San Antonio when he was in Houston where he kind of shut down in the playoffs. Um, So it's a difficult decision. Frankly, I'm glad I'm not in Sean Marks' position. Um, But yeah, I think they have to have a direct conversation with James Harden involving at least Sean Marks, the GM, and likely Joe Sy, the owner, as well. And then based on how that goes, make a tough decision over the next 48 hours.
4: Ryan, as long as you're happily uh, not in Sean Marks' position and having to confront issues like this, let me throw one more sticky one at you because I don't think this has gotten discussed enough, frankly. Why not trade Kyrie Irving? I mean, he can opt out this summer, as you just mentioned. He could walk away. I'm not sure you want to commit to him long-term anyway, even if he decides he wants to commit to you. He has been unreliable, and that's charitable. Uh, And look, New York's law may change as soon as this week, possibly. The governor was just making some allusions to the idea of, of loosening things up. But as long as we don't know when or if Kyrie Irving will be able to play home games, aren't the Nets better off trading him to a team where he can play hundred percent of games for whatever you can get back. And I'm not saying, you know, pennies on the dollar, but, and I'm not saying an all-star either, but this is a roster that really needs some replenishing around their stars, whether it's two stars or three, they just have a huge drop off. Why not entertain the possibility of trading Kyrie? And by the way, as a, you know, a uh, side effect of that. It might actually make James Harden happier because presumably part of his frustration right now is that too much is on his shoulders because Kyrie's often not available.
5: The ironic part about you asking me this question, Howard, as we sit here in February is, if you go back and look at what I said in the preseason, I said that the Brooklyn Nets should consider trading Kyrie Irving to Philadelphia for Ben Simmons, and people were up in R like, "Oh, wait a, how could you do that? What, what do you mean by that? You know, how, how could you do that? No that KD would be so unhappy, and we 've seen what 's happened you know the first fifty plus games of the season um, so i 'm guessing now Philadelphia will stonewall that and shut it down because uh, they obviously want the other guy they, they don 't want Kyrie yes. Irving, they want harden um, but but Chris and howard, I, I really don 't know what the market is for Kyrie Irving. I, I really have concerns about you know if, if you 're another team looking at it. Now, the way, obviously, you, 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 the process is, okay, we know this player. He's had issues now everywhere he's been, right, in Cleveland, Boston, and Brooklyn. Brooklyn seemingly gave him everything he wants, the biggest media market in the country, playing with one of his best friends, maybe the best player in the league, and Kevin Durant bringing in a third star. He's unhappy there why is it going to be different here? Why is he going to be happy here? And that's even beyond you know the vaccination headaches and all that per local mandates in California and some different places. So I really don't know what the trade market for Kyrie Irving is. I imagine they could trade him for something, but I don't think it's that robust, Howard. That's why I think you know he, he's almost certainly going to, to stay in Brooklyn and um, just seemingly bank on, as you mentioned, New York City, New York State changing the vaccine rules so he could actually play every game, which would be a revelation. Uh, one, one final thought while we're on Kyrie is I looked at the net schedule the other day Seven of their last eight games are in the city of New York. They have six at home and then one at Madison Square Garden. So the only game in the last eight that Kyrie can play in is the one road game they have in Atlanta. And I bring it up because, um, you know, we're likely to go into the playoffs, assuming Brooklyn doesn't make a blockbuster deal this week, really not knowing much about this team, right? Because Kevin Durant's out, Kyrie's ineligible late in the season. So, uh, again, Brooklyn has as much pressure, more pressure than any front office in the league. And I'll be fascinated to see what they do over the next couple of days.
6: Guys, Kyrie's gone. After this year, like he's gone, like he's not going to get vaccinated. And Howard, you bring up what the governor said, but the New York mayor is not changing the vaccine mandate. And that's all that really matters. Like the city's not going to change what their rules are. And as long as that's the case, Kyrie's not going to play. So he's not going to opt into his contract knowing at best, he's probably going to get like 45% of his salary because the NBA's made it clear. You don't get paid for the games that you are playing at home. You're defying uh, a city mandate. So there's no reason for him to come back. I'm, I'm kind of coming around to your argument there, Howard, like I mean, if he, if he's going to be gone, no matter what, like are you just kind of rolling the dice and hoping you can end every playoff series on the road that he's playing in that you can survive without him being in the lineup for half the games? What if you wind up playing the Raptors in the playoffs? I mean I, I don't like there's I, I I don't know, it's just it's really complicated. I just think that you know it would unless Kyrie does a 180 and gets the vaccine at some point in the next few months, he's not going to be a net next year. Simple as that. Well, the, the look the, the the
4: pandemic. None of us have have been able to project this. The experts can have not been able to project where the pandemic was going from day to day, week to week, month to month, and so maybe things ease up to the point where those laws go away in time for the playoffs. It's possible, but I would just I think of it this way: when you're all in and it's championship or bust, and that's certainly what the Nets are. I want some certitude to the extent that certitude can possibly exist in this league. And I know that's, that's impossible, but I want as much reliability as I can get. And so if I'm banking on the possibility, the hope that the pandemic eases to the point where the law changes and Kyrie can play all hundred percent of games, all the home games, I, I don't, I don't like that as my odds or as, as my parameters for competing for a championship. I would rather have the certitude of whoever I could get for Kyrie those guys will be able to play in 100% of games. That's what I want. I want to know who, who is on the court and on, on the lineup card every night, home and road, especially when the playoffs arrive.
6: Yeah, um, I, I get it. And it'll be interesting how this team plays in the postseason to keep this group intact. I mean, I, I, again, Howard, you and I discussed this on video earlier in the week uh, or this week. Uh, I, I still think the Nets, if they can get all their guys healthy, can win a championship. With this group. I mean, we saw last year they only played a handful of games together, went to the playoffs, only lost in part because Kevin Durant was like this close, half a shoe foot from making a three pointer uh, in that game seven against Milwaukee. So uh, it will be very interesting how this all plays out over the next couple of months.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
3: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents... Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
6: I want to talk about Philly and and what they do at this point. Um, You know, Ryan... The Sixers seem to be making it clear very publicly that they're going to get what they want or they're not going to do a deal for Ben Simmons. They're going to get exactly what's in their mind as equal value or they will keep Ben Simmons past the deadline. They will suffer through him potentially sitting out and they will potentially waste an MVP caliber season of Joel Embiid. And that's what I want to ask you about. Like, do do you see as a GM, like, do you have any responsibility to Joel Embiid not to waste a season like this. A season where it sure seems like the chemistry with this group is really good. Uh, Some of the other moves that were made, Tyrese Maxey's having a breakout year. Seth Curry is shooting the ball well. Um, There's getting contributions across the board and all kind of circles around Embiid. Is it... I mean, if you were in that position of Daryl Morey, like, do you make a deal even if it means 50 cents on the dollar because it might be enough to push you into that championship range? Or... Do you hold out and hope next summer you get that big fish you're looking for?
5: Yeah, I, I do think you make a deal over the next couple of days, assuming a good enough deal is on the table. And I feel even stronger about that as we record this show on Tuesday afternoon because two of the potential landing spots I had circled – for Ben Simmons are now off the table in my opinion in in Portland uh, which you guys have discussed CJ McCollum as the centerpiece of a deal um, you know a a deal that I thought made some sense was um, McCollum plus Anthony Simons, who you mentioned earlier Chris has really had a breakout year and then Nasir Little who I thought was starting to break out as well before he got injured uh, that was one deal I was looking at that I thought made sense for both sides Uh, that's now off the table and then I thought maybe the second most likely or maybe even the most likely home if Simmons is not traded to the Brooklyn Nets was to Sacramento and in a package for De'Aaron Fox, uh, obviously Buddy Heald, you know something similar uh, to the, the deal that just happened with Indiana, but with Fox in lieu of Halliburton, I thought that was maybe a possibility as well. Both of those are gone now, and it doesn't make any sense. Um, well, obviously, Portland can't do the deal now because they don't have McCollum. It doesn't make any sense for Sacramento, to, to, who just traded Tyrese Halliburton to then trade De'Aaron Fox for Ben Simmons to get Simmons to play uh, with De'Amanis Sabonis. That wouldn't make any sense either. So I bring it up, guys, because uh, if, if this deal does not happen between Brooklyn and Philly over the next 48 hours, uh, I'm looking ahead to even next offseason— well, I, is the market stronger for Ben Simmons? Then, uh, keep in mind there are very few teams who have cap space. He will have sat out an entire year. Uh, to your point, Chris, and I, and I wholeheartedly agree with this. They have a guy who's, if not the MVP front runner, in Joel Embiid, uh, right up there with Nikola Jokic in that top group to me in that lead pack. So, so you don't want to waste a year of his prime. And, and I think if they get um, you know good pieces, I mean you know really good role players uh, for Simmons. I know that's not what they have in mind, but uh, you know I'm thinking starters, uh, you know high end bench players, top seven rotational players in the good team if they can get a package like that which is kind of what I had in mind with the the McCollum deal with Portland uh, that I was looking at um is that good enough right and I think let me ask
6: you this right let me just jump in real quick um in, in that's in that scenario does a John Collins Bogdan Bogdanovic package make sense to you like if, if that was on the table and I think it probably is for Ben Simmons uh would that make sense to you
5: It makes sense to me only if Tobias Harris goes out in the deal as well. And I think that's the sticking point, because for me, Chris and Howard what do you do with John Collins and Tobias Harris on a roster where your best player is Joel Embiid, right? You know, I don't think those guys slide to the three that easily. Uh, Either one of them, uh, I guess Harris is more likely, but I I don't think that's a great fit. Um, You know, it's bloated. But, yeah, so so I think think that's the sticking point, and I think some of those conversations likely have happened uh, where it's, okay, you know, we want Collins, um, you know, we want Bogdanovich, uh, but you have to take back Harris. That's, I think, a firm no from Atlanta. And then, you know, as we discussed earlier with Howard, like, Where do you find a home for Harris, uh, which I think has proven to be very difficult? That's the sticking point. Uh, But but I think the broader point here, guys, is uh, with Ben Simmons acting the way he's acted with a championship contender, not having played a game, given his limitations on the court. And and I'm a Ben Simmons fan of his talent, but he lacks the most valuable skill you would want in a player in today's NBA: the ability to shoot the basketball. That's his greatest weakness. Uh, That, combined with the attitude um, and sitting out potentially an entire season, I think his value goes down. I don't Think it goes up this offseason, and I don't know who the trade partner is uh, if they can't get Brooklyn to flinch and, and put James Harden in the deal.
4: All right, but let me turn this back to the Philly side of this equation for a second, Ryan, because I hear people say what Mannix says a lot you can't waste a season of Embiid's career. Obviously, Philly didn't put themselves in this position. They didn't want to have Ben Simmons set out a year. In fact, they have invited him back 17,000 different ways, and Ben Simmons apparently does not even return texts and calls and whatever else. Like, this is, to me, 100% about Ben Simmons, the, and the Sixers are just trying to make the best of it. But if making the best of it is trading him away for, you know, a substandard package when you might be able to get— maybe it's not Lillard now, but maybe still Beal or Harden or who knows who else this, this offseason, I still understand standing Pat— that all said, the Sixers are as as much in the mix to win the East right now as anybody else. they're They're way ahead of of or at least significantly ahead, I would say, of the Nets at this moment. Um, they're right in there with the bucks and the bulls and the calves. And, you know, like, I don't see that they're wasting anything. Like I, I it's amazing that they've done this without Ben Simmons or the suitable replacement in trade for Ben Simmons. But they're right there. So I, to me, well, let me just ask it this way. If the, if the Sixers stand Pat and don't move Simmons by the trade deadline, what are the odds they get to the finals anyway?
5: Well, I think they have a shot at it. I, I think the odds they win a championship are, are very low because I don't think they beat a healthy Brooklyn team to get out of the East. And if they do that, I think one of the best teams in the West, uh, Phoenix or Golden State, um, is a lot better than, than Philadelphia without Ben Simmons. So I, so I think that's the challenge. I understand your point, Howard, and, and it, it's a good one, uh, but just from what I'm hearing, I think Bradley Beal is likely to not get traded. I think it's almost certain that he will remain a wizard, and I think it's also very likely that he's going to sign a big extension with Washington this offseason. There are a lot of financial reasons for him to do that. Uh, so if that's the case, say Harden re-signs in Brooklyn, uh, then you, you know it's, it's a game of poker, right? You played a game of poker, uh, but you lost, You, you know, and, and then you're holding Simmons, and then you have those issues even going into next season. So uh, I, I understand your point. Um, you know, Philly is certainly good enough to make the playoffs. They're for sure a playoff team, and this is mainly because Embiid is having a phenomenal year on both ends of the court, especially in the clutch. He's been uh, far and away the league leader in clutch points. Um, but I, I just think, I, and one final point I'll make with, with Embiid, I, I think when you have a guy like that to it is in his late 20s with his injury history. I know he's been relatively healthy lately, but but this isn't a guy that I don't think you can, you know, I don't think you can project him into his mid-30s and say, okay, we'll have this guy for the next Seven or eight years. I hope they do, but given his injury history, there is a point or there could come a point where he's not the same guy and he's not able to physically do it. And then if you squandered his prime hoping for something that may or may not be there, I understand why you would do it, Howard. And I see both sides of it, but it's just risky. And I think it could blow up on Philly this offseason if those superstars re sign with their current teams.
4: Yeah, I'll just note they are one game back in the lost column of, of Miami. At, at the time that we're recording this, the Miami Heat are number one in the East right now. The Sixers are one game back in the loss column, like just, you know, in the the abstract, right? That the standings don't tell us everything, but they tell me that the Sixers versus the Heat versus a Nets team that we don't know who they are from night to night versus a Bucks team that still seems to be missing Brooke Lopez and doesn't know, like there's enough volatility in the East that I'm not sure I'm that, I'm feeling that desperate. And I think that, to me, I worry about the, the consequences too of you trade Ben Simmons now for the sake of just saying, well, we can't waste whatever. We got to get some more help for Ben, for, uh, for MB. You trade him, you get whatever it is you get back and it's not a star and it's not Harden and it's not Beal and it's not Lillard. It's just some package of stuff and you lose anyway. <laughs> you don't make the finals anyway. That's your worst case scenario because how is that uh, substantially any different than the not making a deal and not getting the championship, right? And now in the meantime, you've also traded your best chip in Ben Simmons and you don't have him to use again in the summer. So I, I don't know. I think that given how competitive they've been, a, a lot of credit to Joel Embiid and the rest of that crew, but I think I'd feel comfortable enough going to the postseason this way. It's, there's no guarantee that whatever you get for Simmons is putting you over the top anyway,
6: if it's between now and Thursday. Right. Maybe, maybe, Howard. They get out of the Eastern Conference, but I'm with Ryan. They get pureed by whether it's Golden State, Phoenix. Like, they're just not on that level. And I think it would be – you'd probably kick yourself. You get to the finals, and you're, like, one shooter away or one versatile big man away from winning a championship. Like, that's – like, that, Frank, that's the Masai Ujiri approach. Like, we don't want to just be good. We're going to roll the dice and try to be great. I, I get it that it's a risk. Next summer, maybe Lillard's available. Maybe like they the new Joe Cronin leadership group likes Ben Simmons a lot for I'm just making things up now, but like maybe there's something bigger on the table, but there's no guarantee of that. And if you waste this year, like hey. Embiid could get hurt next year, things can happen. Windows close very, very quickly in the NBA. Uh, even if they look like uh, they'll listen, be open for a while. I, I would bet
4: on the Suns or Warriors over the Sixers as well, although I wouldn't envy either of those teams trying to, to deal with Joel Embiid in the best of seven series. But think of it about that scenario, though. You make the finals without having Ben Simmons or his replacements. You lose. Fine. You get spanked by the Suns or Warriors. Fine. We're a team that just made the finals, and now we get to trade Ben Simmons for some good stuff this summer and come back that much stronger next year. And as long as Embiid stays healthy, and I know that that is a, that, that is a caveat that will exist forever with him given his injury history. But that's everybody, too, right? Like, nobody saw Jamal Murray going down. Nobody saw Kawhi Leonard missing an entire season. Like, that's just, that's every star player. There are no guarantees for any of them, injury history or no. And, hell, like I, 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 I can say, I wouldn't mind going to the finals, getting my butt kicked, and then trading Ben Simmons for some good stuff that makes me that much stronger next year, and now my team's got finals experience. It's not the worst
6: outcome. That's Howard, playoff experience matters, Beck. Just make the playoffs Beck <laughs> right there. But, uh, Love thank that. you,
4: thank you, Chris. Rings culture, rings
6: manics. culture is damn right. Rings are bust, baby. Um, Howard and I talk about the Lakers a lot here on the podcast. I don't, yeah, you know, like every time we talk about a Lakers deal, I see it on Hoopsite and websites all the time. Like Lakers dangling Talon Horton Tucker and Kendrick Nunn, who's yet to, still yet to play, in a future first round pick to get something of value back in return. I just don't get the sense, Ryan, there's any real. The, the, those, that, that package is valued at all. It's not going to get you Jeremy Grant. It's not going to no. get you another lead guard. It's almost impossible to get off Russell Westbrook's contract. I mean, it just feels like if the Lakers are going to make an upgrade, it's going to be because they're able to wrestle away someone in the buyout market. that They're able to outbid or convince player X to sign there uh, in the offseason. I, I just don't think they have much wiggle room here to, to make a deal. What What they're offering, it just doesn't seem appealing to the teams I've talked to.
5: No, it's not appealing. And the issues for the Lakers on the court, I think, are obvious. The pieces don't fit together. Uh, The lack of shooting and floor spacing. Westbrook is best playing in transition. As you guys know, up-tempo, that is not how LeBron James in his late 30s and Anthony Davis at any time in his career, that is not how they are best utilized. So I, I think the pieces don't fit well. That's number one. Number two, they don't have enough shooting. Uh, number three, they don't have enough defensive versatility, uh, and they've had some injuries mixed in. So, a host of issues. But, but to your point, Chris, the biggest issue from a trade perspective, uh, which is obviously most important this week, is they don't have a lot of young talent. And the piece that really has to be in just about any significant deal, Taylor Horton Tucker, is not as valuable today as he was a year or so ago, right? On, on the contract they signed him to. Uh, and the reason I say he pretty much has to be in any deal, if you look at their salary cap sheet, they have three guys two they won't trade, LeBron James and Anthony Davis making a ton of money, a third I don't think they can trade in Russell Westbrook and then a huge drop down financially to Talon Horton Tucker who makes right about $10 million and then going below that it's to Kendrick Nunn at $5 million. So, so Talon Horton Tucker is the swing piece. The bet the Lakers made was that he was going to be v- valued to other teams and he could be the lead chip. Uh, teams don't really value you know first round pick is great but it, I think it's like in 2027 20, or 28 it's uh, way in the distant future. Kendrick Nunn has Hasn't played so if you're in another team or an executive like Troy Weaver in Detroit, you're saying, well, what is the real value here? Jeremy Grant's our best player. What are we getting back in return? And that's where I think um, the Lakers really messed up by letting Alex Caruso walk out the door. Uh, the, the Bulls signed Caruso for less than the Lakers are paying Horton Tucker. Caruso said he wanted to go back to L.A. They didn't even counter an offer. Um, you know, if you make your bed, you have to sleep in it. Now I think the position they're in, because Horton Tucker doesn't have any value and none hasn't played, and the pick is so far. In the future, what do they have to outbid really anybody? I don't think they have anything. And, and the final point I'll make, Chris, relative to the buyout market is if you're an elite free, uh, buyout guy, one of the top buyout guys, let's say, you know, Goran Dragic, Thaddeus Young, I'm just throwing a couple names who may be on the buyout market if they don't get traded. Why would you go to LA, right? If they're seventh in the Western Conference, wouldn't you rather go to Phoenix or Golden State, maybe even Brooklyn, Philly, um, to have a ch- if, your, if your goal is to win a championship, you know, the Lakers with one of those guys is that enough to get past? Especially keeping in mind the Western Conference playoffs, you probably have to beat the Suns and Warriors just to get to the finals. Um, you know, can you do that with just one more buyout guy? I don't think so, and that's why I think um, you know Golden State, Phoenix, uh, even Memphis are well ahead of the Lakers at this point.
4: I've actually gotten to the point where, you know, because I think everything, obviously Ryan, everything you just said is is dead on. And, and Chris and I have talked about it ad nauseum. Like the Lakers are just stuck, right? The odds of them doing anything of significance in the next couple of days are very, very low. As you point out, the buyout market may not be in their favor either, given where they are in the standings. So I'm already thinking about June, July. Like, what is the end game then? Like, this season is, I don't want to say it's a lost cause. It's LeBron and Anthony Davis, who knows? Somehow they catch fire, catch a couple of breaks. Maybe they make a deep run. Maybe they make it to the finals anyway. Wherever it ends, though, at some point, the Lakers are still going to have to reckon with this locked up roster that they have because they got to figure out what to do next season. And Westbrook will probably have opted in to 47 million, I think it is, yeah. the final year of his deal. Like, I, I, don't, I know we, sh- we should just stick to this week, but I am curious. Do you have any thoughts on how they like unravel this thing? How do they get their way out of this in the offseason? Is it even possible?
5: I don't think they can. But I would take the probably out of the uh, sentence with Westbrook opting in. Howard, he's going to opt in for $47 million. <laughs> There's, there, there, there might not be a market for what Russell Westbrook at $7 million. never mind $47 million if he were to opt out. So he's going to opt in, and he's going to be a Laker unless they can pull a rabbit out of the hat and, and unload him uh, this week or in early July in the offseason. Uh, and, and, and so now if that is the case, um, you, know, you, you bring the same group back financially. Keep in mind, guys, if your payroll is at a certain level, I, I know we talked about it a little bit earlier relative to Philadelphia, but you're hard capped as far as receiving players in a sign and trade. Uh, so it's just really the same position um, that they're in now, pushed down a few months uh, with LeBron. Uh, with AD, with Westbrook, maybe Horton Tucker's there, maybe he's gone. But still, you you know, you you have a hard cap in terms of receiving a player back in a sign and trade. And if LeBron and AD aren't going out, Westbrook can't go out, then how do you construct it then? Then you're, you know, playing the exception game, the minimum game. So uh, Lakers are in a tough spot. I mean, I I don't see a quick fix. I can see how Brooklyn easily, frankly, could pivot out of this thing if Harden stays and gets healthy, if Kyrie gets healthy and go on to win a championship uh, this year and even next year. I, I don't see how LA fixes this anytime soon unless they can do something for Westbrook that so we sit here 48 hours before the deadline I don't know how they would pull off uh given Westbrook's contract and the way he's played in the Laker uniform
6: you know what's crazy Ryan is that you know you you kid around and say like I don't know if he gets seven million I, I don't know who would sign Russell Westbrook if he was an unrestricted free agent right now yep. maybe the Knicks would do it because they're lifeless at the moment and he could inject some energy in Russell Westbrook Madison Square Garden like I, I could see it taking a flyer on that but like you know, given how and I, and I hate to sound like I'm bagging on Westbrook because I've always been a huge Westbrook guy. I I, I believe his triple double record doesn't get anywhere near the respect. Three seasons of it does not get the respect it ultimately deserves. That's a wild accomplishment that I don't think will ever, ever be duplicated. Not three times in a row. But we've seen now how he performs in a role and it's not good. Like <laughs> he's not become a better shooter. In fact, he's becoming a worse shooter as his career progresses. If you factor in the free throw numbers, which are getting worse. um, I I don't know who would do it. Like, I, I, you know, like you think about, I know it's kind of asking you to think off the top of your head right here, but like he hits the open market, like who's offering him anything. And it's certainly not going to be a contender because, you know, you just saw him play with LeBron and Anthony Davis, two players that you would think it would, it should be not easy, but easy ish to play with. And it, it, It's not ending well or it's not going well at the moment. So it's like, yeah, somebody would sign him, I'm sure. But like you can almost see the end of Westbrook's career coming sooner rather than later in a weird way.
5: Yeah, and I wasn't trying to be flippant when I said I wasn't sure if he gets $7 million. That was baked into my thought process, Chris. I'm really not sure he does get, you know, even the full mid-level exception that's in the $9, $10 million range uh, because of the reasons you mentioned. And from a front office perspective, the most difficult players to manage are aging stars, guys who were stars. This guy was the MVP five or so years ago. Um, but, you know, most of the players I've been around to are that great, and that's part of what makes them great. They still think they're that guy. They can do it. They can go out and put up, you know, Westbrook's case, 30 points, 15 rebounds, 20 assists, those kind of numbers and lead their team to victory. Um, but to your other point, Chris... Westbrook has not improved in the area in particular shooting uh, that is the most important offensively in terms of winning playoff basketball games. Uh, I think Rajon Rondo, we've seen the development with Rondo as a shooter and helped the Lakers win a championship in the Orlando bubble a couple of years ago. At a high level, Jason Kidd, going back a couple decades, you guys know, came into the league as a non-shooter and really developed when he retired as one of the leading three-point shooters in terms of makes in NBA history. Westbrook has not made that evolution. And as your athleticism declines, you have to get better in other areas. He's maybe even gotten worse from a shooting perspective and uh, that's why I think you know combined with lack of defense uh, teams don't really value him much if at all and you're talking about a guy who's making 44.2 million now and 47 next year that that just crushes the market I think uh, you know makes it all but a certainty that he will be in a Lakers uniform not only for the rest of this season but likely for next season as well and it's
6: someone that knows Westbrook really well was telling me recently like it's amazing. You see him flying around out there, still showing remarkable athleticism, even for a guy in his early 30s. This person was telling me, like, it's amazing to see how much work he does before a game to get himself physically able to do that. Like, he has been, his body's been banged up. He's had surgeries. He's had some issues. Like, he really has to put himself through it to get out there and play at that athletic level. And the person was telling me this as a way of explaining kind of how, you know, we why we haven't seen that. Evolution in Russell Westbrook, where he's become the shooter that you know, kid became late in his career, and other players became late in his career. He's just so focused on keeping his body at a level where he can play in the NBA at, at you know physically at the highest level that he hasn't worked on that as much. It hasn't become that kind of guy. So I don't know. Unless we see a turn, Howard, I'll let you way get the last word on this. Let's see a turn in Russell Westbrook. Like he'll be a Laker next year, like Ryan said. But after that. When he's, what, 33 going on 34? Like, I, I don't know where where he would wind up.
4: I don't know. Uh, it's not the way you want to see a Hall of Famer's career end. No matter what you think of Russell Westbrook, you don't want to see the final years be this kind of bleak and frustrating. And for him to be viewed as, and it's not inaccurate for him to be viewed as kind of the, the you know, an, an albatross contract for the Lakers and a kind of, uh, you know, the the ballast that's holding them down As a championship contender, he was the wrong, and it's not his fault. He was the wrong move. We all knew that. The whole league knew that except for the people who pulled the trigger on that deal. And I've said it before, I'll I'll say it again now, like, this may go down as the most catastrophic trade in the history of that franchise. I don't know what the current version of that is right now. I hadn't really thought through the history of it, but whatever it is, this will displace it unless they somehow defy the odds and win the championship. And that's going to be something that they're going to have to reckon with for a long time. And yeah, I mean, that's the reason I asked Ryan about next season is because I'm not sure they can, they can get out of it this season. And is, you know, is there some escape hatch and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't certainly appear so, Even a buyout, which would be a horrendously expensive buyout, like where does it get you? It gets him off the roster, but to what end? Like you're not replacing him with anything. You're still kind of locked up. It doesn't give you cap relief. Um, Not enough. So it's, it's really unfortunate because in addition to not wanting to see Russell Westbrook wind down his career this way, I think the worst thing about all this, of course, is that LeBron James is still playing at an MVP level. And Anthony Davis is an incredibly talented young player who's a perennial all-star, and all-NBA. And that team may crash and burn anyway. And who knows what becomes of the last years of LeBron's career if the Lakers cannot figure out how to get themselves out of this and build a better roster starting next season to put around LeBron.
6: Hey, you know where you can send him? Oklahoma, it's the place. You can send him right back there. (laughs) Attach a first-round draft pick. Thunder will do it. Anything with a first-round draft pick, Ryan, you know this well, the Thunder will do it. They'll, they'll absorb your contract and uh, take your asset off your hands on the way out. Uh, Ryan, we appreciate you joining us, man. Terrific stuff. And, uh, and hopefully we said smart things leading into the deadline at this point.
5: Hey, absolutely, guys. I enjoyed it. Always good to be on with you. I'll be covering the trade deadline live for NBA TV on Thursday. So after you get done listening to your fantastic show on SI.com, we'll have shows late Wednesday night, all day Thursday, covering the action. If there is any action left, it may all be done at this point, but we're still going to do a couple live TV shows anyways and analyze any deals that come in at the last minute. Good stuff.
6: Howard, we'll see you next week. Always a pleasure, my friend.
1: Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler 24 7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services.
3: CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it, most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point, and there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep.
5: Hi,
6: I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree.